shakes, you just need to keep him calm and stress-free. And he reaches, he leans over and he says, what did he say? She said, you're going to die. Been a while since I told a groaner, so. All right, Hebrews chapter 4. I just want to read the first um, 11 verses. The Bible says, Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we uh, which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, um, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limited, he limited, limiteth a certain day, saying in David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterwards have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And let's pray. Father, I do thank you for the opportunity once again to preach from your word. I pray for your Holy Spirit power. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in hearts and lives here today. And I do pray especially if there is anyone here today that does not know you as Savior, is not sure of their salvation, that today might be the day they come to know you. Bless our time as we look into your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I uh, recently downloaded every episode from Paul Harvey. I was a big Paul Harvey fan, and again, you got to be 45 plus to understand who Paul Harvey was. Um, but Paul Harvey used to do a radio spot. It was uh, two or three minutes. And uh, what he would do is he would weave a tale um, from somebody, but then he would tell you the rest of the story. And uh, we have the greatest story ever told, um, but in this passage we have the rest of the story, and that's the title of the message, the rest of the story. The world searches endlessly uh, for peace that would give rest, but they can't find it. No matter what they try, they try uh, drugs and alcohol. They try all sorts of things to get rest, to get peace, and they just, they cannot ever uh, have that. And um, I, I picture them as the first dove that Noah sent out. Noah sent out the dove, and the dove came back because it found no place to rest, found no place to, uh, to settle and to rest. Um, but the Christian has rest. And in this passage, there's three um, types of rest that are spelled out, um, and particularly for a Christian. The first one is spiritual rest. Um, we have spiritual rest for those who have entered in. Um, in verse 1, it says, Let us therefore fear 
lest a promise being left us of entering into rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. So there's a, a, an idea of concern here that people be assured that they're in the faith. Um, the Bible says that we're, to, uh, that we're to try our salvation, that we're supposed to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. And it's not so much that um, people need to doubt their salvation, it's that people have placed their, uh, their trust in something false or something that isn't uh, truly salvation. In the, in the Bible, a lot of times uh, people have confused the image of the promised land. Uh, you know, oftentimes people refer to the promised land as heaven. Well, that's not the case because when we get to heaven, we're not going to war. There's, there's no war in heaven. Uh, whereas when they entered, when they crossed the Jordan and they entered into the promised land, they were, um, they, it was truly a picture of salvation. And when we're saved and we've crossed over and we've become saved, then we, we, we war. We start that battle with Satan. We start that battle with the flesh. So the picture of the promised land isn't heaven because there's no, there's no battles in heaven. The picture that uh, the promised land presents is that of salvation. And in verse 2, there are those who have heard but did not put their faith in Christ. And again, the picture of the promised land comes into play here, especially in Kadesh Barnea, when we have the picture of, uh, the, of the 12 spies going into the land to spy out the land. And only two brought back a good report, Joshua and Caleb. And so they heard the word, but they didn't trust in God. So they, they, because of their unbelief, the Bible says they couldn't enter in. There are those who rejected going in because they wanted to return to Egypt because Egypt had so much for them. They remembered the leeks and they remembered the garlic. It's, it's kind of funny, though, that they didn't remember the, the brutal torture or, or the work or the burden. They only remembered uh, the good things uh, that they were now technically deprived of. They didn't have leeks and garlic and I suppose you can live your life unless you're Italian, and then you can't, but um, without the going. Um, then there were, are those uh, that were afraid to go in, um, and this is true today. Sometimes folks are afraid to get saved. They're afraid of what their family might think. They're afraid of what their friends might think, and these folks were afraid because there were giants in the land, and they didn't trust in God to deliver them for that, and that's true, too, of people who uh, resist uh, the gospel because they're afraid of their family. And when they do that, they're not really trusting that God can protect them and God can take care of them. Then there, then there were those who chose not to go in. They just decided that, that, that they were not going to enter into the promised land, Gad and Reuben uh, and uh, the half-tribe of Manasseh. And it's interesting that you don't hear much about them uh, after the kings. Even when you look at the, at the, at the kingdom of David, uh, most of that area is absorbed. And they were the first to go uh, long before uh, Samaria was taken into captivity by Babylon. So because they didn't enter in, they were, they were taken away captive. And there are those today that, that just, they have something they want to do first. Uh, I, I, I cringe when people tell me that. When I get to the point where they're ready to be saved and they understand salvation and they say, no, I don't think I'm ready yet. And it just boggles my mind. I, I understand, and, and I actually talked to somebody 
who they knew perfectly well what they were about to do. They were heading somewhere, they were going somewhere, and they knew that it was sin that they were going to do, and they decided that they didn't want to get saved. And I, I cautioned them because it doesn't necessarily mean that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to their heart again about that. They'll, they'll put that totally out of their mind. Satan will take that seed that was on the rocky ground, and he'll take that right away, and it won't bear any fruit in their lives. And then um, there are those folks uh, who thought they were in, but they were on the wrong side. And that's true today. It, I don't know something about the fact that as the, as, old, as the older I get, the more concerned I am about people in churches that aren't saved. And it's not that I'm judging people, but I, people have made uh, professions of faith, but there's, there's no evidence. There's, there's no change in their lives, and yet they're convinced that they're saved or they're, they're trusting in the fact that they've done what they needed to do. I prayed the prayer. Um, and we can't tell. When we, when we lead someone to that point, we kind of have to lean upon the Holy Spirit to say, is this person really ready to, to pray the prayer of faith? And many times people pray the prayer of faith and then that's the last time you ever see them. They never come to church. They never... And so I, I've just been burdened, my heart's been burdened, that many are trusting in a prayer or an experience, and they have a profession of faith, but there's no possession of the Savior. Turn over with me over to 2 Corinthians. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Second Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. And uh, I mentioned this before, but it says, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves, know ye not your own selves, how, the, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. And it's, it's literally a life or death situation. You are literally, when you examine yourself and you just automatically say, well, I'm saved, and you're not following the leading of the Holy Spirit, you're not convicted in your heart about it, you're, you're, you're convincing yourself, you're placing your faith and trust in something you've done, that's literally a life and death situation because you may wind up opening your eyes like the rich man and in the torment of hell. And that's how important it is to be sure of our salvation. And... So the, we need to have that spiritual rest. And then, um, then there must be fruit from that. And, and again, I, I mentioned this before, that, that many times people get saved, many times, and my burden is especially for Sunday morning Christians who come every Sunday morning, they're, they're faithful to services, but that's it. That's, that's all, you know, they don't go any further, they don't help out, they don't serve the Lord in any way, they don't tell others about Christ at least, to, you know, to my knowledge. But in um, chapter, uh, Matthew 7, 17, it talks about that fruit. And he says, Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So that's the burden on my heart, is that people don't know. There must be fruit and there must be growth. Not only, not only, you know, Jesus goes on to talk about being in the vine 
And and he talks about bearing fruit, but then he says much fruit and more fruit. So it's not an issue that, you know, you, you, I've done something. I've, I've, I've tipped my hat to the Lord. I've gone to church this week. It's, it's not that idea. That's, that's not growth. So one of the things that we need to ask ourselves are, is, are we truly growing in the Lord? Are we truly growing? Am I more spiritual? And I, I don't really like to use that term, but is my Christian walk closer to Christ this year than last year. And there should be evidence in our lives where we say, yeah, I can see where, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a soul winner at all last year, or um, I wasn't in my Bible every day, and, it, and praise the Lord, I've been faithful this, you know, those types of things. There should be evidence of growth within our lives. Um, Jonathan Edwards uh, wrote, uh, wrote a, uh, it's called a, uh, his treatise, on religious affections, and he wrote it over a period of time. But he said this, the truly saved pursue holiness. And it's something to think about. They aren't always as holy as they ought to be, but they pursue it. So we're not as holy as we should be. We all know there's no sinless perfection in this room. None of us can say that we're holy, but there should be a pursuit of holiness. And that is sorely lacking in the church in America. And I, I speak of the body of Christ in a corporate sense all over America within our churches, that there's truly a lack of people pursuing holiness. Um, they long uh, to do what is right, even if they don't. They have holy longings, holy aspirations, and holy affections. And those are the things that we should be pursuing. But not only is, is there a, a concern listed here um, in Hebrews where he says, um, that uh, where he says, let us therefore fear lest a promise of entering into the... So he's giving us his concern that there should be a fear of whether or not we have truly entered into this rest. There should be a, an examination of ourselves. But there's also a completeness to this, to this spiritual condition, to this spiritual rest that he gives to us. And uh, in verse 3, it says, the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Um, and it always amazes me to think that even before, I, I, don't, I, I cannot comprehend um, eternity past because time did not exist. There was, there was no time. There was no year before the year before the year. There was just eternity past. And it kind of blows my mind when I try to think about eternity past. But before the foundation, before there was any discussion of the, the world, there was a plan in place. There was a completed plan made out. Um, and also in that, in that idea um, of completeness comes our salvation. And we just sang that song, I thirst no more. I've, I've, I, I have drunk from the living waters and I thirst no more. So now I no longer thirst because I have the living water. So there, uh, the completeness is that I don't seek any other truth. So we all know, or at least I hope we all know, that two plus two is four. We don't need to seek any other conclusion to the fact that two plus two is four. We, we know it, we trust it, and we believe it because it is the truth. And so we don't seek any other, well, is it really four? You know, have, has anybody ever pondered the fact that two plus two was not four? 
No, because we understand it. We, we know it for a fact, and that's the same with our salvation. When we're truly saved, we're not looking into Eastern mysticism. We're not looking into, uh, you know, Buddhist practices. And, uh, you know, I'm, personally, I'm okay with yoga from a physical standpoint, but not from a transcendental meditation standpoint, because I think that there's, there's, you know, issues when you get involved in that. But if you want to stretch your body out, which most of us, as we age, need that stretching out, um, then that's fine. But it, it's seeking those types of things. And, and even I got, I got a little concerned when I was younger. I was in my 20s, and um, I got involved in, it wasn't karate. It was one of those things. But there was just something there that I didn't, that, that my, the spirit of the Holy Spirit uh, warred against the spirit that was in the room. And so I'm not against people taking karate. You know, Brother Fred did that forever. And, uh, and so I'm not against karate. I'm not saying that, but there's a certain mysticism. There's a certain religion attached to that that isn't, isn't good. But as Christians, we shouldn't seek that afterwards. We shouldn't seek any other truth if we're truly saved. Um, we, shouldn't be, we should not be uh, pulled into a cult if we're truly saved. If we're truly saved, the Holy Spirit tells us when we hear error. So there should never be, and there should never be a case where a truly born again Christian decides that they want to become a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon. Um, and I, I truly believe that uh, it's the unsaved people who made professions of faith who are easily pulled into that. Um, so people who think that they're saved can be drawn into that because they don't have the Holy Spirit in them to tell them that this is error, that this isn't true. But we, if we're truly saved, we shouldn't even seek after those things or even other religions. Um, John chapter 8 and verse 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Once you know the truth, once you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're free. You're not seeking to enslave yourself to another religion or to another form. But there's also involved in this idea um, between the concern and the completeness, there's also contribution. Because he talks about here, for unto us was the gospel preached. Well, in order for them, for, in order for them to hear the preaching of the gospel, there had to be a preacher. And that's what Romans tells us in, in Romans chapter 10. How shall they hear without a preacher? So there needs to be a contribution there. And we, uh, and I've I preached on this before about working out our salvation. We work out our salvation so that others may see and hear the gospel preached from us. That's how we work out our salvation, is that we evidence our salvation to others so that they see it. And I'm not talking about lifestyle evangelism, although that's important. It's important to lead a holy life before people because if you're living the same way that they're living, it doesn't matter what's coming out of your mouth. Your walk is talking louder than your walk is talking to you. Talk is, your walk is talking louder than your talk is talking. Whatever that is, expression is. Uh, Titus chapter 1 and verse 16 says, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. And what is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ but a good work? That is a good work. And so it's one of the evidences that we're saved is if we share that with someone else. And it's interesting that we can tell somebody we have no problem sharing with others the great deal we got. 
on a car or on uh, something that we bought. I got a great deal. You, you should hear this. You should hear. Or uh, the great experience we had at a restaurant. Uh, we, man, we went out to dinner the other night. It was, we have no problem sharing those, those details with people. But for some reason, there's just this hang-up about sharing uh, Jesus Christ with others. And that's the best news. That's better than any, any deal you can get. That's better than anything you can get in this world um, because it's an eternal thing. Um, <clears throat> the most important question concerning any, uh, any man living is this. Is he, sa- is he a saved soul or not? Is he a child of God or an, an heir of wrath? And that was uh, Spurgeon who said that. Uh, Vance Hafner said, uh, salvation does not come from the ascent of the head, but by the consent of the heart. And so it's not a head knowledge. There's a lot of people that have a head knowledge about the religion of Christianity, but they don't have the heart knowledge. The, the heart hasn't consented to Jesus Christ. So the first thing that we, do, we see in this passage in Hebrews chapter 4 is this idea of entering into spiritual rest, of crossing into the promised land, of, of, uh, of traversing the river Jordan and, and, have, and being saved. But there's a concern expressed by the author here saying that we need to be sure of our salvation. Because the next part of this is about physical rest. And it's about physical rest. And, you know, we war on a daily basis. And I know I don't have to tell you that, but we war on a daily basis. We war with our flesh. Um, Turn over to Romans chapter 7 real quick. We war with our flesh in in Romans chapter 7. In verse 18, Paul says, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him uh, who who have subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself um, also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what, is, what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope, uh, for what we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. Yeah, that was great. I read the wrong chapter. Trying to the first verse sounded great, and then I'm like, what? <laughs> I hate when that happens. All right, let's try that again. Let's try chapter 7. Everybody else was on chapter 7. I was on chapter 8. Somebody needed that. I don't know. The Holy Spirit made me read that. <laughs> um, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. All right. Chapter 7, verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Boy, is that true. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would do, I do not. Um, but the evil which I would not, that I do. 
Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my mem members. O wretched man that I am, who shall uh, deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then uh, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So Paul's talking about this battle of the flesh that's going on, that's warring in his members. But we also have a daily battle with stress. We seem to just be a stressed out society. And I, I don't, sometimes I yearn for the simple days of the farm. But I guess they probably had their own stress of whether or not it rained or whether or not they were going to get their crop in. So I guess stress is just a fact of life. But we also have trials. And we don't share the same trials. All of our trials are different. All of our trials are on a different level uh, based on our faith. Um, Many folks have illnesses. You can tell by the prayer list and especially what Carol pointed out about people's backs lately. Um, many people just have struggles. There's just uh, too many things uh, that go wrong in our lives. Matthew chapter 11 said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So not only uh, do, we, do we have this need for physical rest because of the war that's going on, but we also have a, a need for physical rest because we labor. And we labor at home, we labor at church, and we labor at work. And uh, that may not be the case for everybody. Maybe those that are retired, you don't labor at work anymore. But uh, for many of us, we labor and labor and labor in all of these things and we need to strike a balance between these things. Uh, we can't uh, labor so much physically at work that we neglect our families or our home or our church and our responsibilities there. We can't labor so much at church that we neglect our families. And we had a, we had a church that we were going to in, uh, in Boston, and this, this probably goes back 10 years, um, but we were there the last Sunday where he resigned uh, the church, and he had been there for probably 10 years, um, but he was resigning the church because uh, his wife had threatened to leave him. Um, he had poured himself so much in the ministry. He was running a jail ministry and a, a nursing home ministry, and he was running the bus ministry, and it was a smaller church, but he was doing everything, and instead of waiting for God to allow these things to be added, he just kept adding them and being the one to do it. Um, and he literally tore his family apart. Um, and that's not, that's not what God wants from us. He wants that balance from us because our families are very important to take care of. Um, and, uh, but, but it's not an excuse to be lazy either. So, you know, we can't lay out of church because, you know, we worked hard all week and I, I need to see my family because I worked so hard and now I'm going to lay out of church because I need a balance. That's not the case either. So it's not an opportunity for us to be, uh, to be lazy. And, you know, most people who say they're busy aren't as busy as they think they are. They have a lot of spare time. They just don't think they have a lot of spare time. Um, and, you know, the expression, if you want something done, ask a busy person. 
Um, but we also have in this passage, um, we have the example that God has given. Because God on the seventh day rested in verse 4. Uh, it says that God rested on the Sabbath day. And he didn't need to do it because he was tired. We, we all understand that. He needed to do it. He needed to do it because he needed to set the example. But not only did he set the example, but then he gave the commandment that men should work six days. Six days shall a man work, but on the Sabbath he should rest. And it, I don't, I'm not a Sabbath keeper, so I'm not one that says that, you know, we need to lay out on Saturdays. Um, but there needs to be that period of rest. God has ordained that men take that break. So if we go, 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 um, God's going to make us take a rest. Something's going to happen that causes us to rest one way or the other. Um, but not only that, but Jesus gave us the example. In, in Matthew, over and over, uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, verse 23, and then 17, 1, he often went apart to a desert place or to a mountain, and he would go and he would, he would pray and he would converse with the Father, but he came apart. Um, and he specifically said that. And then he instructed his disciples to do that also. In, uh, in Mark chapter 6 and verse 31, he gives this instruction to his disciples. And, and he said unto them, uh, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many uh, coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. So if you find yourself so busy that you can't even find the time to eat, then God's telling you you need to take a rest. Um, and that's the rest that he provides for here. But So um, God gave us the example. Jesus gave us the example. God gave us the commandment. And then Jesus gave the same commandment, the same instruction to his disciples that there needed to be that time when they would come apart um, and to rejuvenate, to, to rest. So there's that idea of physical rest here. And lastly here, there's the idea of uh, heavenly rest. And in verse, uh, that's found in verses 9 and 10, where he says, uh, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. So this is a future tense. There remaineth yet a rest. So it, it, it's a, a rest that hasn't happened yet. And that's our heavenly rest. That's the final, the final rest. And I'm not going to really belabor the point too much because Pastor Fenena preached all day on Sunday about, about heaven. Um, but the theme of this final rest is carried out throughout the epistle in um, 11, chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, verses 13 through 16, and verses, uh, chapter 12 and verse 22, where he talks about a city. We long for a city. We long for, for, for heaven, the place that we're going, going to go to. Uh, he talks about how Abraham looked forward to um, the city. Um, and it's not a state of being, but an actual place. Uh, I, I, was, uh, I was reading one book, and it was talking about how people are, are now uh, getting away from thinking that hell is literal, but now they're thinking, you know, heaven's not really literal. It's more of a state. Uh, it's, it's, my, it's just a, a place where my soul will rest. And that's not the case. It is a literal place. There is a literal place in heaven. Uh, other than that, Jesus is a liar. John 14. Um, few books in the New Testament assert more emphatically uh, the concrete nature of the ultimate destiny of God's people than does the book of Hebrews. These, fac uh, these factors 
uh, that affirm its reality as a place and not merely a state also confirm that the entrance envisioned for the people of God is yet uh, future. And one of the things that uh, Pastor Fidena said on Sunday that I really uh, that really struck my heart was, uh, "There's no more toil. There's work to be done. We'll have we'll have especially in the millennium. We'll have a, we'll have jobs to do, and and I'm sure that the, in in the for eternity future, there's something for us to do. There's work to be done, but there's no toil involved. And the reason is that there's no more curse." When And he, he talked a little bit about how when uh, Adam tended the Garden of Eden, there was no toil there. He wasn't weeding. He wasn't, uh, you know, taking away thorns or thistles because there was, no, there was no curse involved. And when that curse is lift, lifted, the same will be true for us. There'll be no work involved. And he talked about how, uh, you know, man was cursed to work by the sweat of his brow. There'll be no sweat. Uh, I guess glorified bodies don't sweat anyway, but there won't be any sweat involved in our toil, there won't be that idea of hard labor. Rest from work suggests reliefs, relief from the arduousness of the way, from societal pressures to conform, from ridicule and from uh, persecution. Albert Burns said this, There will be employment there, but it will be without fatigue. There will be the occupation of the mind and of whatever powers we may possess, but without weariness. Here we are uh, often worn down and exhausted. The body sinks under continued toil and fails into the grave. Uh, there the slave will rest from his toil. The man here oppressed and broken down by anxious care will cease from his labors. We know but little of heaven, but we know that the large part of what now oppresses and crushes the frame will not exist there. And there's no more, there'll be no more warring in heaven. There's no more flesh to fight. There's no more stress. There's no more illness. And there is eternal bliss. There's eternal uh, worship. And there's eternal happiness. And I was, I was thinking about this idea of happiness. Happy, your, your joy is complete in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We we should always be joyful Christians, but we're not always happy. And the reason we're not always happy is because it's all circumstantial. It's all because of our circumstances. Well, there's going to be plenty of happiness in heaven because of our circumstances. So while we're always joyful, we may not always be happy here, but we'll always be happy there because of our circumstances. And our journey is ended. We will have arrived. That's the destination. Um, that's the way I like to think about predestination as well. I am already destined. I am already seated in the heavenlies. That is my destination. I am just right now predestined. So I am destined for heaven. I'm just not there yet. Uh, uh, Moody said, Someday you will read in the paper that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Do, uh, don't believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, um, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born in the flesh in 1837. I was born in the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the spirit will live 
forever. Amen. Amen. But there is a sad note. And the sad note is that we'll never be able to share the gospel with an unsaved person again. That includes our friends and family. Once we pass on, that our time of sharing the gospel is over. We'll no longer be able to do that. Um, and so their fate is sealed for eternity. Hence, I believe the reason that Jesus will have to wipe away all our tears in heaven because I think there will be a, a time when we weep over the fact that we have loved ones, family members, friends that did not make the decision and are cast into eternal hell. So in closing, dwell on this thought from uh, Randy Elkhorn's book about heaven. He said, if you're a Christian suffering with great pains and loss, Jesus says, be of good cheer. The new house is nearly ready for you. Moving day is coming. The dark winter is about to be magically transformed into spring. One day soon, you will be home for the first time. Until then, I encourage you to meditate on the Bible's truth about heaven. And as Paul Harvey said, that's the rest of the story. And let's pray. Father, again, I do thank you for an opportunity to preach uh, the word of God, and I pray that it's been an encouragement to heart. I pray, Lord, especially for anyone here today that is not sure of their salvation, that they would examine their hearts. And Father, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to convict their hearts about their need to be saved. And I pray that you would move in hearts and lives. I pray the message has been an encouragement for those of us who uh, face these struggles each day and uh, whether they be illnesses or pressures. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to remember that we need uh, physical rest as well. And Father, we do place our hope and trust in that day when we meet you for the first time in heaven and we see you face to face. And may it be a blessing and an encouragement uh, to each of us. Even so, Lord, come quickly. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. All right, you're dismissed.